Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project is a podcast about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today, I got the honor of interviewing Marco Spalmer. He, oh my goodness, such a cool, kind, generous, fun human being that I had so much fun getting to talk to. Marco Spalmer lives over in South Africa. He lives in Cape Town. He is a soap opera star over there, which was incredibly fun to hear about. It was really fascinating listening to him talk about what it's like to deal with the different voices and inputs and criticisms and what that looks like when it comes to your relationship with your body when you are in the public eye. We also talked about what it was like for him growing up with an identical twin brother. We talked about a lot of comparison stuff with him and his brother, which was fun for me because I have a similar story with my sister, who, no, is not my twin, but very similar in the concept of comparison. We talk about that. We talk about eating disorders. We talk about therapy, trauma, sexual abuse, so many things. And I'm so excited to share this interview with you. And I'm dying to go to Cape Town now and visit Marco. Anyway, I hope that you enjoy. If you guys are enjoying listening to the Unity Project podcast and you want to support me as a podcaster, a writer, any of the things, if you want to become a part of the Unity Project podcast, then go to patreon.com slash JackieGTV. That is where you can support me for as little as $1 a month. That will help me make this podcast everything that I dream for it to be and write the books that I dream to write. And all the things, you guys, if you want to support me, go ahead and do that. Or if you want to read my story and find out how I got from there to here and any and all the things you can read my book finding home you can pick up a copy of that at my website www.jackiegronland.com or if you want to support me but you cannot afford to financially then leaving a review for this podcast is incredibly helpful anywhere that you listen to podcasts just go down there you don't have to say much just however you feel about it let me know that helps a lot more than I think a lot of people realize so Yeah, enjoy. Marco, how are you doing all the way over there in South Africa? (laughs) Yay, how's it from a very sunny, hot Cape Town in South Africa? Um, we've just entered our summer and you guys are getting cold that side, aren't you? Yes. Oh, that's so crazy. I forget about that. Sometimes you guys are getting into the nice part of, nice part of the year. I live in Cape Town, so we're close to the beach or we, we live in a seaside, um, city, um, coastal city. And so gearing up for summer holidays and the beaches here. And so, yeah, we're very excited. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. My friend, I was telling you earlier, I have a friend from South Africa and he used to, I think he was from Cape Town because he used to show me pictures of Cape Town all the time about like just showing how beautiful it was and oh my goodness, that looks amazing. Yeah, Cape Town's magical and if you ever get the chance, you definitely have to come and visit. It's beautiful this side. Definitely. Have you grown up there your whole life? No, so I grew up a little bit all over South Africa. Um, So, but I've been in Cape Town for the last five years, but i basically grew up in a place called Limpopo and also in Johannesburg. Okay. Very, very cool. Well, for those for those listening, Marco, your last name is pronounced Spammer, right? Good. Well done. That's very okay, good. Thank you very much. I'm very I'm impressed very with that. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was going to edit that out, but I'm going to leave it in because I'm proud of myself. <laughs> oh man. So for those listening, Marco Spammer is a very, very cool person over in Cape Town, South Africa. He's a soap opera star, and I have heard of him recently from listening to, I know those listening probably know Queerology, Matthias Roberts' podcast, but I heard his episode on there speaking so, so beautifully about his story, about sexuality and faith and all the things, and so I was really excited to be able to talk to him on this podcast. So thank you so much again, Marco, for for doing this with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It really is such an honor. And I mean, 
you say you've heard about me, but I've, as I've said, I've been following you and your sister's journey for the last couple of years. And I'm, yeah, I'm just really grateful to be chatting to you tonight. So thanks for having me. Oh, so cool. Thank you very much. Have Have you been, I know that you sent over um, the end of an Instagram caption where you talked about a little bit about your relationship with your body, but is that like a common conversation over there where you talk about connecting with your body and stuff? In general in South Africa or within my circles? Um, Probably within your circles. Um. To be honest, I think this is probably the first time that I speak that I'm speaking about the relationship with my body quite openly. Um, that's not within a therapist's <laughs> office or within a counseling room. Um, so I think, I mean, me and my partner, so me and my boyfriend, will joke about it and and we'll have serious discussions every now and then about it. But it really isn't something that I discuss in public forum or uh, in social settings as much as I probably should. But um, so, no, like, I think this is probably the first time that I'm really engaging the, the topic. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I, I just recently started talking about it over the past year. I feel like for most of my life, I lived so separate from my body and so like ignoring everything my body needed and wanted. And so it was a big motivator for me to want to start this podcast when I realized how much of an impact that plays in your life. So I'm excited to talk about yours. But, what, um, so my first question I ask people generally is to describe the relationship that you have with your body. And then I just recently started wanting to add the second part. But uh, to do that and then to talk about a time when you were the most disconnected from your body. Wow. I love that second part. That's such a nice part. Uh, such a nice Thank question. <laughs> um, just added it. I'm like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so the first question um the relationship I have with my body, I, I would say, is a turbulent kind of relationship. It is an up and down kind of relationship. And I think the more we get into this and the more we discuss it, I think I, I'll give more context context to why. Um, because of history and, and how I grew up and, and the industry I find myself in. But, um, but yeah, it is. Sorry about that. There's a notification there. I think it's been up and down over the last couple of years. Um, but I am finding ways to engage with my body more and in better ways. Um, but it is something that I'm not um, fluent in, if I can use that mm. word. It's not something that I find myself being fluent in and how to have a relationship with my body. And so your second question, when, or when was there a time that I felt most disconnected from my body? It probably was about five years ago when I started with the soap because I was in the process of coming out as well. And um, and I did not know how to sit within myself and how to be proud of who I am within a body that's different or that could be different. Um, but at the same time, then being on TV, on screen, uh, needing to look or be a certain way. I'm playing a straight man on TV, so that has to look a certain way. Um, I'm playing a handsome character, architect who's passionate, young, feisty. That has to look a certain way. So I do think starting out with this show um, was probably the time that I felt most disconnected to my body. And it took the last five years to to find language, to find, uh, to build some sort of relationship or understanding at least of, of me and my body and myself within my body. Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. I, I've never really thought about it from the perspective of an actor, of someone being on screen playing a specific character that you have to represent and what that could do to your relationship with yourself and how you see your body. Because I think so often about how difficult it is for even just like just the cultural standard for what a man or a woman is supposed to look like and trying to fit myself in this mold but then when you think about that in comparison to like actually trying to fit a mold of a character on a tv show that's got to do a lot to you absolutely because you are i mean because a soapy or a tv show is a visual art form and so visually you feel like you need to live up to something and whatever that something is is either constructed through society or through um, a narrative that's already there, which is like, cool, if you're a straight man, if you're this good looking, then you need to have a six pack or you need to 
um, have big muscles you need to and I can't tell you enough how many times um, directors on the floor will comment on an actor's body and they don't mean it in a malicious or in a very ugly way they just mean it um, in a sense of like they're just commenting on your body right so they will say things like oh I remember three years ago when we started the show five years ago when we started the show you were quite buff like you were quite worked out you know like you big muscles big shoulders that kind of thing and you're you know you're pretty scrawny now and then mm. you leave the studio with with that in mind and you think oh wow like I mean should I be should I be should I return to that old you know body um do I need to work on my body again to to have it look that way again um so yeah, I think it, it does affect you when you're on a TV show and then you're in the public eye and then you meet people on the street and, and you get comments on Instagram, you know, like, oh, look at how this person, look how much he changed over the five years, look how much his body's changed over the five years. And so it's interesting to have to navigate those spaces as well. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's such like a magnified version of just being, I guess, for lack of better words, under a microscope. My goodness. You mentioned stuff about like uh, directors saying different things about like what a straight man is supposed to look like. What messages did you receive growing up about like what made like a man a man or a boy a boy? Like what were like gender roles type things you learned growing up as a kid? Mm. Um, so I have a twin brother and um and we, growing up, we looked very different in body size. I mean, we're identical twins and biologically identical. And, um, but we looked very different in our bodies. Um, and so he was the, the skinnier twin, if I can use the word. Um, and I was the quote unquote chubbier twin. And people mm -hmm. used to, they were able to identify or differentiate or say, okay, cool. oh, I know the difference between the two of you. Mark, you're the chubby twin, you're the mm. rounder twin or whatever. And so I think, and then you, you know, you're in, in a school where there are boys and girls, so you're not in a, a purely boys school or in a purely girls school, but you're in a school where there are boys and girls, both, both genders. And then um, how girls are slightly more attracted to Marcel's body, my brother's body. Um, and not necessarily to to my body because a young boy's body doesn't necessarily look this way. Um, and so I think to some degree that's how certain gender roles played out. But I do think that I found more um, body types and stereotypes um, with regards to my relationship with my brother or, or the way we we looked, you know, and how we how we differed, the two of us. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's very, very interesting. I don't have a twin, but um, I guess, as you know, I have my big sister and I had kind of like a similar experience growing up of like, because we looked very similar and she wasn't that much older than me. And so I kind of like everything about me, I measured up to her, especially when it came to like the body, because you're growing up and your body's changing and your siblings' body's changing and you hear things and it's like, I feel like it's inevitable to measure yourself up against your brother or sister and the fact that he was your twin, like identical twin, that must have been a lot. Was that, did that play a big toll on you growing up? Like, was that a really big part of your relationship with yourself? Like looking to him as well? Absolutely. And I think this is going to sound so funny, but to me, I felt like I was being a bad twin for not looking like my twin. Mm. Do you get what I mean? So I felt like I wasn't being his twin brother by being slightly bigger than him. And so I had to work really hard to look like him in order for us to be perceived as twins. Because to be honest, like it, it made us special. It made us special to be twins. And that kind of being special meant something for two boys who were slightly more feminine or, you know, in the, in the stereotype of being feminine. But um, two boys who grew up, you know, not being the the popular kids at school it kind of you kind of felt like okay cool this is the one in you know this is what makes us different this is what makes us special being twins but now I can't be this body type because I don't look like my brother and so I worked really hard and and did have and I think and I speak about this quite often with with my boyfriend and with my brother is that I think that's the one thing that probably made me 
so obsessed with with my weight and with my body um, is the fact that I just wanted to look like my brother, you know, like I wanted to look to have his body. I wanted us to be twins. Wow. Oh my gosh. So being a twin kind of became like your identity in a way, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it yeah. still kind of is, you know, like I think there are very, there are plenty of moments where we, where we measure ourselves against each other and not in a competition way. So we've never been very competitive. Um, we love and celebrate and support each other, you know, whatever we look like and, and whatever we achieve. And so we're very um, supportive of each other. But I think it is that thing of like holding on to the fact that we are twins, like that makes you special. Um, mm-hmm. So how can we keep this is by looking similar, you know, looking alike. And so then you, then I especially work really hard on looking, you know, like having his body shape and he works really hard at having my body shape and vice versa. And it just keeps going. It never ends. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's like in a in a sense that's like comforting for me to hear because I felt like that's so much growing up to my sister. But in another sense, like that, that's so hard because it takes away freedom for you to just be however you, Marco, were like supposed to and are supposed to be. Yeah, man. So you you mentioned having um, I I might be misquoting you, but you were just talking about how you got really into like body image and weight and working out and stuff. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, absolutely. So I think at around, um, so I mean, I, I grew up primary school and most of high school with this, with this narrative of being the slightly quote unquote chubbier twin. And, um, and I think at around 15 or 16, I wanted to change that. And so I, I started dieting, like I started, um, fad diets and, uh, yeah, trying to lose the weight and trying to keep up with my brother. And so I used to run twice a day before school and and after school. And so it'll be like 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes in the evening. And then in the evenings, I would try and like half my plate of food and not trying to hide it or whatever. I would just say, listen, I am trying to look after my body. My mom knew. And this is the interesting thing is I think I grew up also watching my mom do the same thing. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. my mom also went through some of the same things of like always trying to be the perfect body or have a different body type than the one she had. And so I think she kind of saw it as, oh, okay, cool. He's just a in control of his body and his life and so there's nothing to worry about or to ask questions about or to interrogate and so I would half my plate of food leave the other half for lunch the, the following day and so I started losing lots of weight you know and by the age of 17 18 or whatever I felt like I was you know quite slim and and in shape and running a lot I was drinking lots of green tea because apparently that's a good fix <laughs> so there was the green tea there was the running there was the halving of the of the dinner plates and that kind of thing and so I became pretty obsessive and um and I think it's just it's followed me up until today I am 29 today and so literally for the last 10 years I've really worked hard at trying to keep a certain body type and a certain body image and it has been exhausting and it has been uh, tireless um yeah, so it's interesting. And I think in so in my final year of high school and my first year of uh, varsity, I don't know if you ever read um, Unbearable Lightness, Portia de Rossi's Unbearable Lightness. I don't think so. What's that book? So Portia de Rossi, obviously Ellen DeGeneres' wife, she, um, she also battled an eating disorder. Um, and mm. so she wrote a book called The Unbearable Lightness. Um, and it just follows her journey, you know, through her, her eating disorder. And it was so interesting for me at the age of 18 or 19, again, in the slightly more gendered stereotype to be wondering or to be so emotionally swept up into a book like that. And I was thinking to myself, like, what other 18 year old boy or 19 year old boy in South Africa in an Afrikaans community is reading this book and weeping? And like, why did it resonate so deeply and so completely with me? And, um, and I think ever since then, I just, I just knew that there would, there would always be, or that there's always going to be this, this, um, interesting relationship with my body that other people won't necessarily understand because even my partner and even my brother, they think it's just like, it's up and downs and whatever, but it, it really is. And I think you would also know it's this, it's a far deeper and slightly more internal a conversation that you have rather than just an external trying to achieve something, you know? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. It is such a just lifelong battle and process. And now I really want to read that book because uh, I mentioned earlier, I don't think we were recording it, but um, I was in treatment earlier this year for an eating disorder and just learning how deep that conversation goes as far as like, it's about body image, but it's not. Like that's like the top of the onion layer. There's so much beneath that about worth and like strategies to like kind of just survive. Like it's kind of like a survival strategy to think you have to eat this much and run this much to look this way. And it's like kind of like you're in a sense, I used to think of it, at least for me, like I was just ignoring my body and not listening to what um, she needed. Or like if my body was tired, I would make her make run anyway. Or if I was hungry, I would make myself not eat. And it was like this lifetime of constantly ignoring every voice that my body had. And you kind of just like, I felt just so separate from myself after a while. And and it's scary to imagine a life other than that, other than like, because you feel kind of like tough in a way when you're like, oh, I don't need to eat that much or I can run this much. It kind of like, it, like for me, it kind of put me on like this high in a sense. Mm, mm. And have you ever experienced like uh, moments of balance, balance, moments of like equilibrium where there aren't those constant voices or needing to fix the body? Have you ever found that? I, not consistently. I've had little, like, pieces of it. Yes. I think towards the end of treatment, I felt, I felt this moment of feeling that way because I I remember I, like, looked back at my time in treatment and I was like, all the lies that I used to believe, like, in order, because my whole thing was, like, in order to have connection, in order to be, like, lovable and worthy of, of love and relationship, then I have to be this small. And to be this small, that means I have to um, exercise this much and eat this little and just kind of, like, torment myself. And I have to be like that. And so I looked back at my four months of treatment and I was like, I made some of the greatest friends of my life there while I was not allowed to work out and I was being not forced but like kind of made to sit down and eat a certain amount of food each day from like dietitians and it's like I was working actively against the lie but realizing that the lie was a lie and so I think in that moment I really realized that that really I my worth and my value is so much more like that it's just more than that have do you feel like you've gotten to that place? Mm, I think so. And again, yeah, there also there are moments that come and go. They aren't constant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I think that's what we are hoping for <laughs> is for yeah. for uh, sustainable balance and sustainable equilibrium. You know, something that f- that sits for a while. <laughs> Something that sits for a while and doesn't just come and go. And I think, yes, absolutely, I have experienced those moments. I think during our country's hard lockdown, I I realized, okay, it's going to be a month, four weeks of being indoors. And then after this month, I have to go straight back into my character. And so I'm starting... And then I start thinking about the wardrobe and like, will I fit into the shirt on these pants or like, will that, will they look good on me? You know, like, will I look a certain way or, you know, will they be unhappy with, with what happened to my body? And, um, and I remember speaking to my therapist about it and, and, and kind of just reflecting on the things that I do or don't do because I have this interesting, I think for me, a big thing is binging. Um, so I think I binge eat or I binge drink. And so binging is a big thing for me. I would spend weeks being very healthy, you know, almost depriving Mm -hmm. myself of certain things like depriving myself of sugar, depriving myself of chocolates, depriving myself of a glass of wine. So things like that. Like I, I'm very good at being a slight extremist. (laughs) So Mm. if I say no sugar, I mean, absolutely no sugar, you know? And then, uh-huh. and then there's a moment of binging and it's not a binging of like, I feel guilty or like I lose control. It's just like, I deserve this now and I will binge now. And this is what I deserve, you know? Yeah. And so I think, um, there was a moment with my, with my therapist, you know, discussing these things, these exact, um, conversations and, um, and after that conversation for at least, I think a week or two weeks, I kind of, 
allowed equilibrium to happen and balance to play out. And it was a very freeing, liberating experience. Wow. Was that really hard to do to allow the equilibrium or did it feel natural? No, absolutely. It was very hard to do. I think it was hard to do because... (laughs) It's so ingrained to try and control things. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's so ingrained to control food and control eating and control drinking. Like it's such a natural thing for me to do just to try and control eating and drinking and that kind of thing. And so for me or to allow myself for at least two weeks to not control anything, to allow my body to say what it needs and then to to give it to my body, you know, Um, Mm. and then not to deprive. So I think the deprivation was a big challenge for me is to not deprive of anything to say, because I do wake up some mornings and go, you know what, actually, no more red wine, you know, and then for two weeks, Mm -hmm. there's no red wine. And then suddenly there's a bottle of red wine at the end of the two weeks. Or suddenly I say there's no carbs, this is going to be a carb free two weeks. And I'm vegan. So I've been vegan for the last three years. And, um, And so I will say, like, even as a vegan, I'll say, you know what, no carbs, two weeks, no carbs. And then I think to myself, but Marco, how sustainable is that? Like, what are you going to eat? Salads every day? Or like, are you going to (laughs) eat cabbage or broccoli? Like, what are you going to eat that that has no carbs and as a vegan, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Most of your diet is carbs, you know? So I think I had to, uh, it was challenging. Those two weeks were definitely challenging. But like, now it's, it's, found a balance again and then it loses a balance and then finds balance again so it is a constant like I said in the beginning as well as like it's this constant back and forth for me yeah that makes sense it's just this lifelong journey of I found really just like learning what my body's voice sounds like and kind of like trying to learn how to recognize what it is that I need where do you find that voice is it is it through meditation or mindfulness is it through therapy how did you kind of recognize your your body's voice? Yeah, that's a great question. It's so difficult to do. I think I'm so far off from it being natural, but the ways that has proven to be really helpful for me is I journal a lot. And when I'm journaling, I kind of just like writing and writing and like free writing. And I'm just dumping my whole like heart and brain and mind onto this paper where I really feel like that's when my truest, truest thoughts and feelings come out. And then other than that, definitely therapy. I am so into therapy. It's so helpful to have someone that's like you just feel so trusted and safe with being able to talk through all of these things that I don't know, just sometimes you feel like the only person in the world who feels this way, which is why conversations like this are so helpful because it feels so, um, oh my gosh, our dogs are barking. (laughs) Do you hear that? (laughs) Hey, doggies. Marco says, hey. Oh my gosh, Leo is having a cow. Um, Sorry about that. But yeah, it just, um, therapy has been incredible to be able to talk through really what I, what I think I need and to talk through kind of like the more surfacey needs or not like surfacey needs, but like say I want um, a bottle of wine, but then what do I really want? Oh, I really want like connection or I really want the like the, the like wants underneath the wants and stuff. And, and so, so I like that the wants underneath the wants. Yes. Yeah. Like the more like introspective. Oh, how do I actually feel? And like being able to look at that. The biggest thing I think for me is learning how to look inward in a compassionate way versus a judgmental way. So like, which is so incredibly hard to do. Oh my gosh. Does your therapist ever talk about that? Yes. The being kind (laughs) and the loving to self and yeah, like introspecting through the kind, compassionate, loving lens of a friend, right? Yes, absolutely. And like learning to like talk to your like younger self and stuff. And I don't know, like like the just it's it's crazy sometimes how you think of like the shame that you might feel for wanting like a donut. Like what does that want mean about you? And then it's like, but what do you really mean? You just want pleasure. And so many times in life we were taught like you don't deserve pleasure or you don't get to have pleasure or you need this or all these all these lies and stuff. And so it's such a such an interesting delicate journey that is so cool to be able to talk about what do you think are ways that you feel like you're able to hear what your body needs 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's definitely through through therapy. I don't know if you've ever done um, TRE. Have you heard of TRE or done any TRE? No. What What's that? Um, I don't know the ex- like what TRE stands for, and we can Google it and we can figure it out. But it is <laughs> it's like a, so it's called TRE therapy, and I'll tell you now it's trauma. So it's the therapeutic muscle tremors evoked by the TRE exercises possess process is a natural internal neurophysiological response so Mm. what it does is like so you tire out your legs to some extent um through like simple exercises and then you lie down and you allow your legs to tremor Hmm. and so through these tremors uh you release tension and trauma that's kept in the body because obviously i don't know if you've heard about the book or read the book the body keeps a score Yes, I love yes, that book. Yes. So it's based on that as well as like the body keeping a score. And so all this tension is built up in the body and in certain areas and in parts of the body, um, but then also trauma and and memory and those kind of things. And through TRE, you're trying to release those trauma centers and those um, uh, tension centers. And um, and so for me, I done like I did one of those sessions and I immediately for the very first time felt an integration in my body for like top and bottom integration whereas usually like I think I'm very good with my heart so I can put my hand on my heart and feel integrated and I can speak kindly and softly and gently to my heart but when mm-hmm. it comes to the rest of my body or especially like the lower part of my body and I'm wondering and I and I did speak to a therapist about this like whether that has anything to do with sexual shame or um, sexual tension or that kind of thing but mm. um, but my lower part of my body, I feel very disconnected from. Oh, and wow. so through TRE, I left my TRE session feeling, wow, there's a there's a bottom half to me. <laughs> there's a lower part to my body. And um, and I felt very integrated. So after a session like that, and I think like I, I should definitely do more TRE sessions and more TRE therapy, because I think that for me was definitely an awakening and a way for me to find um, glimpses of my body's voice, definitely. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I'm so surprised I've never heard of that. I wonder, do you know if that's like a big thing in Cape Town or have you heard of it in other places? Because that sounds super cool. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's just big in Cape Town, but uh, um, yeah, I don't know where it originated or where it's really big or where it belongs, but... <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, because over here, do you guys do EMDR ever over there? Oh, yes. Yeah, so I've heard of that as well, but I haven't done one of those. But we do have we do have EMDR as well, but I haven't done. Have you uh, done that? Yes, I'm in the process of it right now. Um, How are you finding it? it? It's it's kind of scary. I haven't had I haven't like completed the process yet. So I've tried it a few times with different therapists, but the only time that it feels like it's has like a chance for success is with a therapist that you've taken the time to like get to know and to trust um, versus just like on a second session with a new therapist, let's jump right in. Um, But it seems like it could be helpful. Like I love the concept of it Uh, for those listening who don't know what EMDR is. I think, Oh gosh, what does it stand for? I think it's like eye movement desensitization report process that is exactly it that's exactly you did so well it's called it's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy beautiful you nailed it i nailed it thank you very much this is just my time to impress people with my knowledge (laughs) you are on the roll oh my gosh yes i am first your last name pronounce pronouncing and now this um Gosh, but yeah, so EMDR, it it kind of, and I am hoping that I'll be able to explain this right, but it kind of like imitates REM sleep. So over here, I know there's different methods. Do you guys hold the buzzers over there or do you do something different? Oh, I've never done one of those, so I, could, I couldn't say. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, over here, there's different ways. The way that my therapist likes the most is to hold these buzzers in each hand that vibrate back and forth at different speeds. And you close your eyes and you picture a memory from a trauma and the point of it is to reprocess the trauma in a way that like imitates REM sleep because the buzzers back and forth kind of put your brain in REM sleep mode so everything you see is really vivid and like very very like real and your brain starts processing it kind of like it processes dreams and 
the point and the hope is for you to process that so well in a place where you know it's safe. Like I do therapy on a ranch with some horses. And so I go back and forth between processing the memory and then jumping to like petting my horse Petra and realizing that like I'm safe now, like that happened, but it's not happening now. And so now I'm safe which has been incredible. So if anyone out there has trauma, as in probably everybody, because, wow, there's so much in the world that's difficult. Um, I, think, I think the author of um, The Body Keeps the Score, he speaks about EMDR quite as well. I think he spoke about it on, um, on, on Being, on the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett as well. Oh my gosh, he's on her podcast? Yeah, yeah he, did, he has one episode with her as well. Wow, I have to go listen to that because I want to ask him so many questions. So I'll just go listen to her ask him questions. And well, you mentioned a second ago about uh, being disconnected to your lower body and possibly that being related to sexual shame. I know that you sent over an article to me that you wrote on sexual abuse, I believe at the age of five, was it? And then you wrote you wrote really beautifully about your experience after that. And like I was saying before we were recording, I felt really connected to the way you were talking about it um, from my own experiences with, with sexual abuse, the like the way you felt like you were silenced and then the realizing that like you wanted your voice back and now you want to be heard so much and you wanted to stop ignoring. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, whatever you would be comfortable and open to sharing as far as like how that pulled you away from yourself and your journey in getting back to yourself after that? Yeah. So I think, um, when it happened um, at at the age of five years old, um, and it happened within the family, and so it was a relative, and um, and I was kind of told uh, that evening, you know, just stay in the room, just stay quiet, you know, just lie on the bed and, and read the book, you know, like keep yourself busy, don't make a big fuss or big, make a big noise or whatever, um, you know, I'll return or whatever. Um, you don't have to say anything, that kind of thing. So I think you're right in saying, you know, that I felt incredibly silenced, I think, that evening. Um, mm. And so I think uh, I'm in the process of studying psychology and, um, and, I, and, and there's a term that they also use like dissociation or disassociation. And, um, and I think that that's probably what happened um, that night is to, because I think for years after that, for very long after that, I used to think it was only a dream. I used to think that the sexual abuse or what happened that night was purely a bad dream, you know. And wow. I kept thinking, I kept replaying it, you know, in dreams or whatever. And I thought, yeah, maybe it just maybe it's just something weird that I'm dreaming about, you know, strange, weird dreams that I'm having. And um, and it wasn't until like very late in my varsity you know, um, career that I, I think probably second or third year or whatever that I came out to my brother and I, and I said to him, you know, I think this is what happened that night. And I think I was sexually abused. And so wow. probably by the age of 20, what is that? 21, 22 or something that I really only dealt with it and came to terms with it. And so I think for, for let's say 16 years or 17 years, I thought it was a dream and I thought it didn't happen. Um, and I had to deal with that. And I think because of that, that disconnection, there was obviously this disconnection within my body, like whatever happened to my body that night, I, I disconnected from that moment and disassociated from that moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so everything after that just kind of happened to my body, you know, everything yeah. after the age of five just happened to my body and I didn't, I didn't really process it or connect with it or sit with it or allow it or don't allow it or ask it questions or that kind of thing. I just, I just, the, the body just took over, you know? Wow. That's such a, that's so, oh my gosh, that's so sad. And that's so, I feel so real because I just, I've heard so much about like the fight, flight or freeze response in uh, do you read a lot about that, studying psychology? Uh, I haven't yet, but I have heard of it, yeah. Okay, yeah, I just hear about it from my therapist a lot um, and how I know I carry so much shame from, like, the freeze response of thinking, oh, I didn't do enough, but really it's, like, this way of just your body keeping you alive. And there's, like, all this, all these studies. Have you heard of um, the book, oh, 
gosh, what is it called? It's like uncaging or something, the caged tiger. Let me look at the name really quick. Waking the tiger. Um, so it's all about kind of how our trauma responses mirror trauma responses like in animals and how like when a gazelle is being hunted, uh, some or maybe not it's a gazelle, some kind of animal is being hunted and one of the ways they can escape is by freezing and by like playing dead almost so their whole body just like freezes and drops and it's it's like a a biological or a physiological response that their body does to keep them alive and then there's the times when they run or they fight but it's like their body knows what is going to keep them alive in that moment and it takes over and does it and so it's so interesting how they found the correlation between that and like how our bodies respond physiologically or whatnot in scenarios like sexual abuse and disassociating that is such a similar i mean do you want to define disassociation for everybody mm. um so for me so i i will and i think but i want to add to to the story as well as that i think for me what it was you know if it if not disassociation um then definitely um it was checking out I think mm. I think that night and then probably for the rest of my life. And I think I do mention it in, in that little article that I wrote as well. Is like I think every night or every day since that night, I've been trying to check back in. Um, and it's been this relentless pursuit of checking back in. Um, and so for me, that's what I think I mean by disassociation or whatever is the fact that I that I checked out or that I I wasn't there, that that wasn't me or that didn't happen to my my body. But so a dissoci disassociation or dissociation is disconnection and lack of continuity between thoughts, memories, surroundings, actions and identity. Uh. And so I think that's what it was, because in that moment, there, there was suddenly this lack of a continuity between my thoughts or my memories and my surroundings and then the actions and my identity. Yeah, that's that's so crazy. What, what was it like? Um, what was it like when you remembered what actually happened versus when you like kind of came back to yourself at the age of 21 or 22? Like that must have been terrifying. Yeah, I think I, I honestly didn't have anyone to share it with other than my brother. And so I think because I only went to therapy, I think, four or five years later. And so for me, that was a coming back to myself and realizing, cool, this definitely did happen and I'm taking ownership of it or I'm, I'm, I'm definitely acknowledging the fact that this, this trauma exists in my body. But then only four years later, really knowing that there are some tools out there that could help me deal with it or to take care of it or to better, you know, deal with it. Um, mm. So for me, I think it was still like, I think I, I came back to the, the realization of that night, but it was still a, a, a sense of being checked out, not completely in, in, in checked with it, you know, checked in with it, um, not acknowledging the full weight of that evening which only really happened like three or four years later. Um, and that moment was cathartic, that like realizing and acknowledging what happened that night was definitely cathartic. And and it does give you your power back, I do think. But wow. now, but I now, I mean, now 28 years later, 20, no, 23 years later, 25 years later, um, <laughs> or however old we are today, um, <laughs> later, um, I can definitely feel that there are remnants of that, you know, of that checking out. Like if you spend that long, if you spend over 20 years being checked out of your body, then it is going to take a long time to come back and to relearn it and to, to reteach it, um, its, its ways and, and how to connect and to stay present and how to check back in. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you feel like almost in a way, because I know I feel this way for myself, but like the the ways that you tried to control food and body stuff, do you think that that's kind of connected to like ways you stay checked out from yourself and ignored your, like the voice of your body at all? Yeah, maybe. I think, I mean, I definitely haven't spent enough time with this and, and I probably should, and I really want to. Um, but I do think that that's definitely, so, I mean, you and I spoke, very briefly about the whole Enneagram thing and, and how that might, you know, relate to, to a relationship with the body. But I think, so I'm an Enneagram nine with the one wing. And so <laughs> being a nine with the one wing, 
is um, is quite hard when you also deal with um, with uh, not the healthiest relationship with your body. And so it is it's this uh, tension of being checked out and not listening to your body, but at the same time trying to control everything um, and trying to be perfect or perceived as perfect. And so I think that's been my current struggle, which is, okay, Marco, check back in, but you also don't have to be perfect or try and control your circumstances or control your food or control your drinking habits or this or that or whatever it is that you want to control. Um, but you also mm-hmm. need to stay checked in then. You can't check out and then not do those things. Um, so it is this tension of staying checked in, um, waking up to the voice of my body, but then also not trying to control it, not trying to control my environment or my food and that kind of thing. Oh, wow. That is That sounds like a big tension there. That sounds tiring. Do you get tired? <laughs> I do. I'm exhausted right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can imagine. Life is such a, just, it's a battle sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Can I read what you wrote at the end of that article that I really liked about sexual abuse? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Just so people can hear it, you said, make this your goal reader, find your voice again. Go dig it up under all the don't rock the boat scenarios, the bite your tongue moments, the sure whatever you want answers. Make it your mission to give your voice its platform again, allow that deep and inner groan to find words again, and then you write. You stand up for yourself, you say no, you speak your heart, your mind, and you give your story a rightful and well-deserved place at the table. That made me want to, like, just cry and <laughs> eat a bowl of ice cream. It was so, it just was so well written. What What do you feel like, do you want to talk about that a little bit more about what you meant by that last paragraph? I think what I'm saying in that last paragraph is exactly what checking in with myself feels like. That's what ah. a completely checked in version of myself feels like. Um, it's completely and entirely alive and it wants to say and voice and vocalize exactly those things. And so I think that little last few sentences is a statement for me. It's a statement for myself and for my Enneagram 9 wing 1 version body (laughs) Um, (laughs) is to say, Marco, these are the things that make you come alive and these are the things that we say and that we reach for when we are most checked in and most present to our bodies. That is so, so well said. It kind of sounds similar to just, I don't know, like I said this thing, or actually someone else in an interview said this um, a couple weeks ago, and it really stuck with me. And so it kind of is becoming my new like motto of I will never not take the sight of myself again, or I'll choose to never abandon myself again. And it kind of feels like in the same vein as that. It's really, really special. And honestly, that sounds just like connecting to the body in general. Absolutely. And I think what you're saying is to never want to abandon yourself again. I think that's maybe the message I would give to that five-year-old that night is to say, from this moment, from this night on, I choose to never abandon me again. Mm, Yeah, that's cool. What do you think that looks like not abandoning yourself? Hard work. I think it is yeah. it is relentless hard work, but not in the sense of that you're constantly fixing and trying to be better. But it looks in it looks like the work that we do. Um, I think for me, it's it's leaning towards um, you know seeing my thera- my therapist often, seeing um, counselors or speaking about this, reading the right kind of material and books and and also just opening myself up to other people and their narratives to to allow to influence my own, you know. I think that's what the hard work looks like, I think, and that's what I mean when I say hard work is is to to take good care of yourself um by seeing a therapist, by uh yeah, by really figuring out what that voice inside of you sounds like, what your body's voice sounds like. Mm, that's really, really special. <laughs> May we find it. Oh my goodness. Margo, you are such a cool such a cool person and you speak so well on these things and i'm so surprised by the beginning of the conversation when you said you don't um really talk about the relationship with your body and your inner circle often you sound so well versed in it i know look to be honest with you i'm sitting here covered in heat hives because i never speak (laughs) about these things and my body is saying 
Look at us, we're coming alive. This is what we need to speak about. Look, we're reacting. <laughs> My oh. nervous system is saying, come alive, come alive. And so thank you so much for that affirmation. I love that and, and I'm very grateful. And thank you for giving me the platform to kind of um, lean into the discomfort of speaking about this. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's like my favorite conversation to have because once I realized that I had really been ignoring my body for so long and once I realized that like that's kind of, that's kind of like, not like the answer to life or anything like that, but it's like a big answer to just being a human is being connected to yourself and hearing different people's stories with it and hearing kind of like the different arches and when were you not connected? When were you connected? How, what did that look like? It's so fascinating to me and and it's so fun hearing even like just knowing that you're living on like the opposite side of the world. Like it's summer right now where you are. <laughs> That's so cool that we still get to have these conversations and we still connect in such such a deep way. And our stories are so different but similar. And it's just it makes me feel very like very unified in a sense. It's very cool. Yes. Good choice of word there, Jackie. <laughs> yes, yes. Marco, I have one more question for you, and it's a little bit of a change of pace. Are you ready for it? Give it to me. Okay. Would you rather have to have your main form of transportation on a dog sled pulled by dachshunds, but they're like, like you know those little wiener dogs? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so there's like four dachshunds pulling you around on its dog sled. They're really strong, so because we they're like very small, but they're very very buff dachshunds, so they can get you from point A to point B pretty well. But that's just you can never drive a car again. You can never, I don't know if you like bike or skateboard or anything, but only dachshunds pulling you on a dog sled. Or would you rather every single time you had to stretch? Your best friend had some Cheerios fall on his head or her head. Oh, wow. This is an easy one for me because I'm an animal <laughs> lover. And as a vegan, I don't want Peter knocking on my door. So I'm going to oh go God. for the Cheerios. <laughs> I'm going to go for the Cheerios. Yes. Every time I stretch, I want Cheerios to fall on someone's, someone's head. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a wonderful answer. That is a Perfect. I love it. And I would not put those dachshunds through that either. They have a life of their own to live. I wouldn't want Peter either. I'll walk alongside them. Oh my gosh. Yes. Walk along. So you guys can all be buddies. You can pull them. They can pull you. Make sure you warn your best friend about the Cheerios though, because that's going to be a surprise. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Marco, how, how can people find you, find your work, find your social media? Where do you want to tell people to go? Yeah. So I am on Instagram and I think I'm most active on my Instagram. Um, a little bit on Twitter here and there, but I'm basically just a sneaker on Twitter. So I sneak and check out everyone's like everyone's news and posts and that kind oh, of thing i'm very curious and that's um, so funny yes and uh, and then facebook not as much but definitely instagram so people can can find me on instagram and then the show that i'm on is called say twister the tv show and then if you want to you can go onto their instagram page um just to kind of see and get a sense of the work that we do here in south africa on the show there's a platform called Showmax in South Africa. It's called Showmax. And it is also like a, like a membership kind of thing, almost like a Netflix, uh, but for South African content. And people internationally can view shows uh, from South Africa on, on that platform, which is really nice. So you get to see some local content, some South African content on, the, on there as well. Oh, that's so cool. I'm definitely going to be checking it out because... Oh my gosh, that sounds awesome. Well, listen, I hope to someday eventually be on your side of the world once pandemic stuff like calms down, if that ever happens. I want to go hang out and walk around Cape Town and just have all these chats in person and all the fun things because you are such a cool person, Marco. Oh, thank you, Jackie. And so are you. And I, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed this chat. And thanks for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. I will talk to you soon. Yay. Ciao. Bye. Bye.